You lived your life for the king. You're gonna die for some chickens. Someone is. All right, kids, let's get cracking for seminars. Next one up, February 5th through the 7th in Wichita Falls, and then after that, we'll be in Wichita Falls again, April 16th through the 18th. For camps coming up, we have our self-sufficient lifter camp on January 9th in Wichita Falls, covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. For deadlift and power clean camps coming up on January 16th, we'll be in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. And then we have two squat and deadlift camps on the list, January 23rd in Boise, Idaho, and January 31st in Miami, Florida. Several meets on the list if you're willing to travel to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, they have several USA weightlifting meets. They're going to have their strength lifting challenge, and they're also going to have a strongman meet later on next summer. All of our strong strength gyms are open and operating where you can come in and work out with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. To find a location near you or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information about anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Hi. It's Friday. It's Starting Strength Radio. Isn't that fascinating? How here we are every fucking week. Friday, here for you on Starting Strength Radio. So, what do you want to talk about this week, boys and girls? I know. Let's talk about equipment. We're going to talk about gym equipment. This weekend, my just random thoughts as they occur to me. I've got a little outline here. So I'll just, you know, start talking about whatever comes to mind. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll both learn something, right? But first, comments, comments. From, from the haters. And we've got a... We've got a wonderful collection of comments from the haters this week. All of them are the result of Chase's 405 standing press. I, and we knew, we put that video up. We, you guys got trolled real hard is what happened, right? I mean, we knew when we put this video up exactly what the hell was going to happen. And you have not disappointed us at all. So here's somebody says, Blueberry says, nice standing bench press <laughs> with 405. <laughs> okay. Strong dude. But what did I just watch? Push press standing inclined bench with 405. Right? At a body weight of 242. 405. I love how Rip started an entirely new strength sport to get away from some of the atrocious form used in modern-day powerlifting, only to have the prince of the sport make a complete mockery of the standing press with this dog shit 
push press to standing incline reverse good morning. Great work, Rip. With 405 at 242. <laughs> oh, shit. Super strong, but it's still a standing bench press in it. In it. Is it not? Right. Oh, I get it. All right. In it. That is 2020. It's the way the kids talk. I hate the slang. Whatever you can do to save from actually typing, right? Or standing chest press, I should say. With four oh five. Right? Oh, this is a this is the best one. What kind of bull shit is this? Here's one that says gross. <laughs> That's not about the press, it's just Chase. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's Chase's haircut. <laughs> Impressive but unbelievably dangerous. Snap goes the lower back. Did you notice? How Chase, how Chase was paralyzed. He was a paraplegic after this. Uh, after this, I mean, they had to wheelchair him off of the yep. platform. Wheelchair ever since. Been in a wheelchair ever since, hadn't he? It's unbelievably dangerous. Unbelievably dangerous. Sorry, but that looks awful. I respect the effort a lot. Sure you do, but the forum looks like a recipe for injury. Wow, a standing bench press. That looked unhealthy. Nice bench. <laughs> I think it's stupid motherfucker. I think it's useful it's just, to summarize the because these, the same three things come up every single right. time. Three or four. It's cheating somehow, right? Yeah, right. It, he a, didn't really he didn't put really, it up over his head. He didn't really put it up over his head. Right. It's a standing bench press, right. which is somehow which is easier, somehow than, easier than standing up with the bar. Than just standing there right. and pressing it up over your head with perfectly strict form. Back's right. going to break. Back's going to break. Which oh. we've seen every time he's pressed over 315 pounds, his back is broken. Right. right? Yes. And yes. then uh, the other one is Rip has decided to shit all over the sumo deadlift, but this is no different than this the is sumo no different. deadlift. Right. No different. Right, no, this is there's nothing about this that's any different than the sumo deadlift. I mean, anyone that does a layback can do four oh five. Right. That's right. That's the, the natural progression that, of the argument. Right. If that's only, what they mean. If only I could lay right. back that much, I would also press. If only back. I could lay back. It's the same thing as the it's, steroid argument. It's yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> Anybody doing more weight than me is on drugs. Yep. Right? You know that's Jesus. true, don't you? My favorite right. one, though, is all these guys who just started thinking about strength training about three months ago. Right. Writing shit like, now I see why this was removed from the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> they know you all. They've got all the information. The layback is not why it was removed from the Olympics, no, first no. of all. The layback is not the problem with the Olympics. The, the Russians were the problem That's with right. the Olympics. And if you actually are concerned about that, there's an article on our website about the history of the press. Look it up. But don't type. Look, it, 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 these people are so stupid. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I've always said this. How do people this stupid learn to type? It's devastating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. 
<laughs> and those are comics from, from the heaters. Okay, now, what are we going to do today? We're going to talk about gym equipment. And by gym equipment, I mean uh, the shit you find in commercial gyms. Uh, that, you know, is available to you to own at your home uh, as well. And these are just some of the thoughts that I've had. Now, when I first started the gym back in, uh, I bought Anderson's gym in, two th- in 1984. And uh, uh, we had a whole bunch of what would you would consider to be, you know, the standard commercial gym equipment. I had a you know, I've, I've had one point or another, I've had leg extensions, leg curls, pec decks, hack squat machines. What other stupid shit have I had? Uh, just damn near everything you can have. I had a Smith machine at one time. You had the cable crossover. I had cable crossovers. Yeah, I had a cable crossover machine. The reason I kept that is because I had two or three people that liked it. So. Oh, and the seated row thing, remember that? Seated row was the other half of the uh, lap machine that we still have in there. That was that, that particular machine is kind of a, uh, an interesting classic piece of equipment. Mike Graham at Texas athletic club made that he welded that thing up back probably in the late sixties. And it was a three part machine. It was the standard lat pull down. It was a low pulley row and a high pulley row. And, uh, in fact, that's the machine that Dave Draper trained on because Dave Draper at one point was hanging around in Austin for a little while, and he trained at TAC, and, and that's the machine he used. So when you use like my lat machine, you're using a lat machine that Dave Draper used, which is interesting little piece of history. Uh, that, you know, uh, by the way, those of you that, that um, are into the equipment thing, I have uh, – I bought that machine from Mike probably in 1986 or seven, and uh, that thing does not have a piece of cable on it. It's not wire rope. All right, that uh, machine came from Austin with a piece of Kern mantle rope on it. It's a piece of half inch. Kern mantle rope, which is what they use for sailboat sheets. It's got a it's got a core, and then it's got a woven sheath around it, and it it doesn't stretch. It's not like a laid rope; it doesn't stretch. There's no stretch in it at all. And that piece of rope has been on that machine since Mike built it. That is probably a fifty year old piece of rope that I have never replaced. Never had to replace it. People that operate these cable machines with pieces of wire rope, uh, wire rope fatigues because metal fatigues, and you got to replace the cables every year. <laughs> so anyway, that machine's very useful piece of equipment in certain circumstances. So uh, I started out with a whole bunch of conventional gym equipment, and I got rid of it over the years. And I guess the best way to explain uh, why I got rid of it is because you can't train on a machine. Machines are not for training. I guess you could 
theoretically, you could probably train a leg press machine. But uh, it's such a it, they're so bad for your low back, and they're they're kind of dumb when you can squat. Uh, that and I keep a leg press machine. I still have the leg press machine because we take people who are detrained to the point where they can't actually squat, and we start them off on that and get them strong enough to squat in about a month, and then we don't use it anymore. But that's it's still in there, and we use it for that all the time. It works very very well. But in terms of the rest of the equipment, I just got rid of it over the years because it finally dawned on me, I'm not that bright, but it finally dawned on me that you don't train machines. You train the basic barbell exercises. And you all know what I mean when I say the term training versus exercise. And, uh, and if you don't, look it up. It's on the website one of the more useful concepts that we have originated uh, here at uh, Starting Strength. And uh, so I, I just decided over the years that these things were not nearly as useful as just the basic movements because you can train the basic movements for years, and there's not any machine that you can make any progress on for more than about four weeks. So we just got rid of them. So when I'm talking about equipment, I don't care about leg extensions. We're not going to consider which is the best leg extension machine because there isn't one. All right. All this, you know, attention that's been paid to hammer strength and what else is big right now? Nautilus still in existence? Cybex? Polaris? All of these machines that are designed for use in commercial gyms? All of that shit is designed for one thing. It's so that minimum wage people can work the floor in a health spa. And, uh, you know, that's not what we do. So we're today going to talk about the important things. We're going to talk about bars and racks and benches, plates, and, you know, all the accessory stuff that we utilize in a strength training program in an actual barbell black iron strength training gym so the first priority that we've got is the bar okay now bars are uh um you know ubiquitous every gym whether they're a bullshit standard industry you know health spa type facilities got some kind of a bar to load plates on all right uh, when bars were first developed back long, long years ago, the first bars were just pieces of approximately one inch, maybe one and a quarter, one and an eighth bar stock and plates were little affairs that had a hole in the middle of the plate that was big enough to go on this little piece of one inch, one and a quarter bar stock. All right, and those things are still available, and those are referred to as exercise plates. We make dumbbells out of them now, uh, but they're little pieces of cast iron, just like the uh, all the other plates are. All plates are cast iron. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but those were the first barbells. Now, York, I believe, is probably the people who were responsible, York Barbell, were responsible for the revolving sleeve barbell 
that took the diameter of the sleeve up to uh, about uh, two inches. And the plates that fit on a revolving sleeve bar, a standard Olympic is the term used for those, for that equipment. The, 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 the standard plate used on that has a diameter, an inside diameter, the hole in the middle of the plate that fits on a two inch bar. Now, the bar itself is, uh, well, you've all seen them. They have, they have a knurl on the bar that enables you to handle the bar more securely under a load. A knurl is a pattern uh, etched into a piece of steel that improves uh, friction between that piece of steel and whatever other surface it's going to interact with. In, in our case, the knurl interacts with your hands. Um, and all of those bars were knurled uh, from the beginning. They are uh, a, uh, uh, you know, they, they, the revolving sleeve bar is the, the, the sleeve is the part that the, bar, the plates go on. The bar itself, the diameter of the piece of bar stock that the bar is built around is anywhere from 27 millimeters up to 29 millimeters. You find bars, examples of bars in between all those dimensions. If you happen across a, a bar that's fat, like a 32 millimeter bar, you're either dealing with a specialty bar that is being used for suit and wraps, power lifting, where they, where depth is not judged, where they want to be able to get fifteen thousand pounds on the bar, uh, or you're dealing with a piece of cheap Chinese junk made out of pot metal or whatever they make carburetors out of, or whatever that shit is. You know, thirty-five mil, thirty-two millimeter bar that bends. <laughs> That is probably made out of a very low grade of steel, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, the bar itself, the, the, the piece of stock that the bar is made out of, is it called bar stock. This is supplied by steel mills. And the composition of that material is important in terms of its long-term durability. But in terms of the way the bar handles under a load, the diameter of that bar is far, far more important than the composition of the bar. Now, we just got through publishing a pretty comprehensive article about this uh, by our buddy Andrew Lewis, and uh, he goes into some pretty good detail in, in this article about uh, bar whip. Now, when we say whippy, we mean a bar that that is springy, that that kind of bounces around in your hands, which means that it's it's more flexible. And the flexibility of a piece of bar stock is a function of its diameter, not its composition. It's a function of its diameter. Now, if you get a cheap bar made out of a piece of 1018 or cold rolled steel, some cheap Chinese junk. Uh, the bar's not going to act materially different than is uh, 
a bar made out of good alloy steel, 4140, 4142, which is typically what is used for good bars. But what you'll find is that a bar made out of 1018 is going to be bent within a couple of weeks and be permanently bent and distorted. And, and uh, because it's uh, uh, the limit of uh, plastic deformation is rather low. All right. And uh, Andrew talks about this in his article. If you're terribly interested, you need to go ahead and read that. We've got lots and lots of equipment references on the website. So I'm just going to touch on some of this stuff today. Uh, now a bar, in my opinion, since we are primarily using this for this, for squats, presses, deadlifts, bench presses need to have, needs to have a centered neural and the centered neural enables you to more securely keep the bar on your back during a squat. That's the only time really that the bar is is that the center neural is is important is when it's on sticking to your back better on the on the on the squat when you put the bar on your back and in those instances when you do front squats it helps the bar stay on on your shoulders by grabbing the front of your chest and uh, a bar without a center neural in my opinion is I it's, it's just what what it means is you can't use that bar as effectively for squats as you could with a bar that has a center neural on it. So I don't see any point if you're buying a, a bar for general training purposes to buy one without a center neural. Now, if you've been training 10 years and you don't like a center neural, I don't care. Go ahead and do whatever, you know, enjoy yourself. But if those of you that are trying to decide about what kind of a bar to buy need to buy a bar with a center neural. Now, the fatter the bar, in other words, as you go from 27 millimeter to 28 to 28 and a half to 29 millimeter, what you're going to find is that the bar becomes less whippy. It becomes more stiff under a load. And this is also, you know, a matter of personal preference. Have you been trained in 10 years and you like the movement? that the bar makes when you pull, like the movement of it on your back. Some guys like to take, you know, 655 out of the rack and feel the thing go doing, doing. It's kind of cool feeling, you know. Uh, I remember doing my, the only time I did a 600 triple a long time ago, I, I took the thing out of the rack. And this is a 28 and a half millimeter bar. In fact, it's that same damn bar number three over there. We've still got that's still perfectly straight that caps welding made back in the middle eighties, perfectly straight. All right. Now that is a good piece of steel. And, uh, I took that thing out of the rack and I got set up with it and the, and the thing was going like that. And it just felt light, felt good. And I remember asking the spotters, is this loaded, right? That was a good day. It's a damn good day, a triple with 600. So uh, anyway, I, that's not important to Ed Cohen, I understand, but <laughs> Ed probably understands how how I felt <laughs> that day every time he trained. He takes 900 out for a triple and does the same thing. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean, Rip. <laughs> 
Oh, shit. Fucking bars never bounced on my back <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, you got to get enough weight on it. There's a, there's a, there's a load where it starts acting different. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that depends on the diameter of the bar. And that's my point here. If you want to, if you want a bar that doesn't move around much, get a 29 millimeter bar and you just, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, uh, bar stock comes from the mill within a certain tolerance. Now, when I say within a certain tolerance, I mean that there's going to be some variability. And whether you want there to be some variability or not, there's going to be some variability. And uh, there's going to be some very bar stock comes out of the mill to a to a straightness standard as well. And all of the good bar manufacturers will straighten the bar stock before they make a bar out of it to make sure that there's no deviation from a straight line. And, uh, in fact, you can tell if a bar is straight, uh, very easily. You put the thing in the rack or put it on a bench, an upright support bench. And then you take the bar and rotate it, the whole bar, not the sleeve, but the bar. And then you observe what the ends of the bar do. Okay. If the bar is bent, the ends of the bar will describe a larger circle than the diameter of the sleeve. All right. Let me say that again. If the bar is bent, looks like this. When you spin it, the outside of the bar, the end of the bar will go in a circle that's bigger than the diameter. And this is obviously the geometry that you're going to create with a, with a bar that has a bend in the middle of it. And when it spins, it's going to cam. It's going to lopside around a little bit. And you'll be able to see that at the, in, the, in the movement at the end of the bar. A bar that's perfectly straight will just sit there and stay the same, make the same circle as the sleeve. And you can buy bars brand new that, that are a millimeter off. It happens all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that the bar is, is useless or is of bad quality. It just means that not enough attention was paid to straightening the bar stock when it came from the mill. And the reason we like straight bars is because uh, a bar that is bent will orient itself with the bend to the top when it is pulled. And if you put a bar that is bent on your shoulders and you don't make sure that you go under the bar with the high spot pointing up at the ceiling, then the bar is going to right itself on your back. And uh, most people won't notice this happening with a bar that's out of straight by one or two millimeters. But by the time it's five millimeters out of straight, in other words, five millimeters between the top of the bar and the general axis of, of that the bar is supposed to occupy, then you're going to notice uh, that the bar is bent. Now, a bent bar is useful if you want to do rack pulls because it's sitting on the pins anyway, and it's going to be oriented 
with the top side up and it's already bent. So you're not going to fuck the thing up by dropping it in the rack. I don't recommend that you just let go of it like a crossfitter would do, but I mean, you, you, you need to set it down, but you don't need to pay that much attention to not bending the bar if it's already bent. So a, a bent bar is useful for rack pulls. A bent bar may be useful for squats too. Let me redo that. A bent bar may be useful for squats too, because if you get under the bar with it oriented up so that the bend conforms to your back, then the bar will not roll. And if rolling on your back is a problem for you when you squat, then a bent bar will fix that problem. So a bent bar is not, I mean, you, you would like to pay for a bar that's completely straight. If you pay $325 for a bar, the damn thing ought to be straight when it gets to you. If over the course of your using it for years and years, the bar develops a two millimeter bend in the damn thing, I don't think that's bad service. And that's not something that I would complain about. Um, you know, it's an unusual bar like number three over there that can be used in a commercial gym for 44 years and still be perfectly dead ass straight. That doesn't happen very often. And it's, that's unusual. And it's not something you should expect to occur. Okay. Now bars, uh, we talked about the neural neurals are of different textures. All right. Powerlifting neurals are for some bizarre reason made to actually chop into the flesh of your hands. I don't see why that makes them better. Uh, all it does is tear the calluses off more effectively than a more friendly neural. The starter strength bar that's uh, manufactured by caps welding is a perfectly adequate neural for heavy deadlifts, heavy rack pulls, heavy, anything else. It's a very, very nicely designed neural that interacts in a very comfortable way with your hand while providing the best grip that, that you can find in the industry. And that neural is not chopped deeply into the bar either. And, uh, and I think Andrew mentioned this, uh, in his article, since neurals are cut into the diameter of the bar stock, the net effect of the neural would be to reduce the diameter of the bar. If you've got a piece of bar stock that starts off in life at 28 and a half millimeter and your neural is a half millimeter deep, then that is a whole millimeter across the diameter of the bar that you have effectively reduced the diameter of the bar by. This changes the characteristics of the bar. It certainly does because the skinnier a bar is, the more whippy the bar. All right. Now, this would probably be a good time to say something about the women's bar. There's a 15 kilo bar that has been produced for the women's division of Olympic weightlifting. Now that 15 kilo bar is about 25 millimeters. All right. And if what we just said is true, and it certainly is, then the 25 millimeter bar is going to be more whippy than a 28 and a half millimeter bar, which is the standard men's bar, 20 kilo bar for Olympic weightlifting. Uh, 
a women's bar is designed to do one thing and one thing only is that is to lay on the platform in an Olympic weightlifting meet where there is a women's division. That's all it's for. You don't squat with a 25 millimeter, 15 kilo barbell. You snatch and clean and jerk with it. And that's all right. And you'll notice that when the women's division was added to Olympic weightlifting, this bar had to be, had to be engineered. And they thought very, very hard about this. And you'll notice that that 25 millimeter bar, 15 kilo barbell is shorter than the men's bar so that the whip of this skinnier bar is mitigated by the shortness, the shortening effect of the moment of inertia between the middle of the bar and the plates. Okay. Look all that up. This nothing about the women's bar is accidental. The sleeves are shorter. The piece of bar is shorter so that the thing behaves close to the same when it's loaded in a snatch and a clean and jerk. When you pull it as a longer 20 kilo barbell that the men's division uses. All right. Now, uh, what about plating on a bar? There are bars available that are, for God's sake, there are chrome-plated bars available. I don't know why you want a chrome-plated bar, because uh, it's you, you cut the neural end of the bar to make it grippy, and then you apply a layer of chrome to it to take the grippiness away from it. I, I don't see the point in that. I don't like the aesthetics of a chrome-plated bar. I think they're stupid looking. Uh, it looks good in the it, it looks neat in a commercial gym. It looks good on, you know, NBC's coverage of the Olympics or whatever the fuck the NBC does. Uh, you know, people that don't know anything about bars think they're shiny, and shiny's good, right? Shiny's good. So uh, if you're going to get a a plating on a bar. Don't get a chrome plate. That's stupid. Uh, I don't see the point in plating a bar. They have Cerakote and they've got black oxide. What else they come plated with? There's all kinds of different stuff that you could apply to the outside of a bar that would uh, prevent the bar from rusting. And that's the only function of a coated bar is to prevent the bar from rusting. All right. Let's talk about rusting in a barbell for a minute. Black zinc is the other or zinc. Zinc other oxide yeah, or whatever zinc. that black zinc is. Black oxide zinc. Yeah. Cerakote is, is the What is Cerakote? Does it say what that actually is? I don't know what is? that is. Uh, they I use it for they use it for some, some sort of ceramic um, plating, I think. Man, I don't know. It's they use hard. it for it's guns a lot. Yeah, it's real hard. Real hard. Good. Um, steel's real hard too. Forty-one forty's real hard also. Thin film protective cer ceramic coating. It's a ceramic coat. So it's ceracoated. So what? Uh, look, if your bar is showing orange rust, then you are not taking care of your barbell. Orange rust on a bar means that water has gotten to the surface of the bar. Water, right? 
Orange rust, which is limonite, is the lower oxidation state of iron. All right. And the upper oxidation state of iron is called hematite. Hematite as a mineral is red. Limonite as a mineral is orange. And if you see orange rust on a piece of steel, water has been applied to the surface of that steel, which means you left it out in the rain, which means you don't really give a shit about your equipment anyway, doesn't it? Isn't that what that means? I mean, if you leave your barbell out in the backyard and it rains on it, don't worry about it. This is not the podcast this, this for is, you. This is not, this is, yeah, you you probably, you know, are, are worried about other stuff anyway. So, uh, but if you keep the bar in a place that is free from liquid water flying through the air, then your bar is not going to develop orange rust. What will eventually happen to a barbell that is uncoated, an uncoated piece of 4140 steel with a neural cut in it will change color over time as it is handled. The moisture from your hands interacting with the, you know, the skin oil and everything else that comes in contact with that bar will change that bar from the color it was when you took it out of the tube to the color of a gun barrel. It's a, it's essentially a gun blue job that accumulates over time on a bar that is used. Now, this oxidized surface is, in fact, perfectly normal. That's what's supposed to happen to the barbell over time. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of think it looks good. I, myself, am not nearly as uh, appreciative of a uh, bright steel surface as I am a, a bar that has grown in experience with its owner. An experienced bar and an experienced lifter have grown together. They've developed along the same lines. And uh, all those nice bars I have over there in the gym have seen service for many of them for 40 years. And uh, they're not bright and new. In fact, we, we get a new bar in. We got several new uh, starter strength bars in over the past couple of years. And those are already taken on a patina that uh, happens when people handle them, put plates on them, take plates off of them, pick them up, lift with them, put them back in the rack, take them out of the rack, move them around, that sort of thing. And uh, those bars are developing just exactly like I want them to. I don't want them coated. I don't like coated bars. And if you're so concerned about a bar not developing rust, then I'd you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Go ahead and buy a zinc oxide bar if you want to. I don't care. I mean, I know they sell a lot of them. Some people are weird. Some people are different than me, which I would say is weird. That's what, that's what that means. Different to me is weird. Right? No. No? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fucking Nick. <laughs> Fucking Rusty. Notice Bree's quiet over here. She agrees with you. She agrees with me. <laughs> She's the closest one to being fired, though. True. 
Thin ice, man. Thin fucking ice. It's always, the ice is always thin under Brie. <laughs> all the oh, time. All the time. In her life. <laughs> so, uh, what have I left out about barbells? About bars? Bars are the most important aspect of our equipment. They are the, the interface between us and gravity. And you need a good bar. If you can't afford a good bar... Stop spending money on other shit and save up and buy a good bar. Good bars are very important. It's not fun to lift with shitty barbells. Uh, yeah, if you should talk about how dangerous, the especially the hex, the hex bolt bars can be because those things come apart. Oh, yeah. If you've got a... I, I mean, that's a, the typical thing you see in a set of weights that you buy. You're going to have a hex... Bolt. Yeah, if you're if you've got a bar that is that the sleeve is held on at the end with an Allen head bolt, you have got a cheap piece of shit. All right. In 2020, nobody uses that assembly for the sleeve. Nobody that's outside of communist China uses that sleeve. I have one in my garage. Where'd you get it? Where, where'd you buy the power rack? Um, I think it Big was, Five or someplace no, like no, that? No, it was second, secondhand. I got it oh, got it from somebody that had bought it from yeah. Big Five. If you, go to, you right. go to Academy or Big Five, that's what you're going to get. Though. Yeah. yeah, you go to a sporting goods store, you're going to get a piece of shit. All right, that's all they carry. Uh, people they sell to don't know anything about this like you do now. So you want a bar that is assembled. The sleeve is the part of the, we talked about the sleeve. The sleeve is what holds the plates. It's the part that revolves. It slips over the outside of the bar stock on that end of the bar. They're about that long, right? And the bar goes over those. That, that thing rotates on the bar stock itself. Now, there are two ways to assemble this. You, you put a bushing between a brass bushing, a bronze bushing between the sleeve and the bar, or you put bearings between the sleeve and the bar. Bearings are more expensive. If you buy an Elico bar and pay $1,000 for it, that's going to be a bearing assembly bar. But there is no reason for a general strength training uh, application for bearings in the bar. Bronze bushings works just fine. And uh, all you have to do is oil that thing about twice a year, and it'll spin every bit as well as a bearing bar without having you spent $700 more on the bar than you needed to. Uh, the sleeve is attached to the bar. It slips over the diameter of the bar stock. And it is fastened in place a couple of different ways. York is, has an end cap where they uh, drill a hole in the end of the bar, slip the cap on, and run a roller bearing through the sleeve cap and, and the bar itself through the hole in the end of the bar. That's a good assembly method. Another good way is to use roller uh, pins, uh, through holes at the end of the bar that fit through a slot that is machined into the end of the bar. And that is the way that starting strength bars are held together when they come from caps welding. Now, 
that's the new design. Those are both every bit as good as each other. They're, they're very, very secure. I don't like spring clips uh, that hold that assembly together. It just seems cheese bowl to me to put a little piece of one millimeter spring shit in there to hold the thing in place. I just don't like the way that it just doesn't look good. They're probably just fine, but I'd I'd rather have something more secure than that holding the sleeve on the end of the bar. But again, if your if your bar sleeve is held on with a with a bolt, you're dealing with a piece of shit. You know, throw that away. Just put it in the dumpster, out back. Throw it throw it in the trash, and get a better bar. What you don't want to use, because what, what, I, what I hear people say is, oh, well, I'll just use it for rack pulls. Don't use it for rack pulls. I mean, Because it's going to fall apart. If the, the sleeve pulls. falls apart and there is 600 pounds on either end of the bar and the sleeve comes off, right? You're going to catch a barbell. And, and the, the sleeve comes off. What happens to the other side? <laughs> I, I'll tell you, we had a bar one time that failed in the middle of the bar shaft. This has been a long time ago, about 30 years ago in the old gym. We were up the street from where we are now. Guy was doing a snatch Damn. in there with a, yes. with a York, with a York bar. And we had like, oh, you know, probably 90 kilos on the bar. Not, not huge, maybe a hundred kilos on the bar. And he pulled that thing off of the ground. And I'm telling you that. The bar itself, the bar stock, the piece of bar, sheared right off against the sleeve. Now, you've got two hands on a bar out against the sleeves. And the thing sheared off of the left side of that, of that bar. And the, the sleeve with the plates on it fell in the floor. So now your point of rotation is way over here. Did he go flying? <laughs> and you've got a real long moment arm and a big heavy ass weight. You've got a catapult, don't you? And I don't know how that didn't kill him. But it just, it goes, whoom. It was on the way up? It was on the way up during the pull. As the bar came off the floor, the thing sheared. So that crack had been there quite some time, sure. right? We just didn't know it. And <laughs> that thing missed his nose by maybe an eighth of an inch. Missed his nose. Flew over here and stabbed into the sheetrock <laughs> of the wall. It's the goddamnedest thing you've ever seen. I'm telling you, it was, the, it was weird how it didn't kill anybody. Because that thing just goes, it launches yeah. and speared into the wall over here. The damnedest you ever, never seen anything like this. How'd Joe die in the, <coughs> the gym? Oh, he got a barbell through the chest. <laughs> Had anybody been standing there, they'd have been killed. Yeah, they'd have been fucked he, got, up. he got impaled into the wall by you know, the barbell. I'm telling you, it was, it, was, it was a hell of a wreck. I'd never seen anything like it before. You know, and I sent that thing back. I sent that thing back to, I, I called York. And I told them what had happened. And they, of course, didn't believe me. So, uh, I w and I wish I'd saved this. But they wanted that sleeve back so they could see where it had parted. 
And those assholes, after about three months, finally sent me a replacement bar. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. That's a, you know, and I hate to say this, what a great old company they were, but they have been shitty. Their customer service is shit. Everything about them is shit. Don't do business with York. I'm sorry to say that. You know, I've got great, fabulous old York plates in the gym, fabulous old York 27 millimeter model 38 bars. Uh, no, those are not model 38 bars. What are the, that model 38 is the, is the short version of that bar. They lengthened that bar in the fifties. I don't know what they call that now, but the ones that you normally see without the center knurl, the, the, the cap holding the sleeve on, they're almost all so old now that they're, they're approaching black and that's, those were bare steel bars when they were born. And but those are those 27 millimeter bars. If you could find a straight one, that's a great bar. It's a great bar. But uh, the modern York Corporation, I'm sorry, I hadn't got anything good to say about them. Uh, they manufactured the first B&R bars for Rogue, and all of them were fucked up. The sleeves, uh, the bush, the sleeve bushings came loose from the sleeve, slip up and down the. Slip up and down the bar under the sleeve. You ever notice that when you pick those bars up, all that, that little clatter sound? Within a few months when I bought mine, both of them were doing that. Both of them, yeah. That's just what both they bushes. did. Don't, don't, don't buy them. Not from York. Now, the new B&R bars that Rogue is selling are not made by York. They're made by, by Rogue, and those are quality bars. And I would still recommend that you buy those. Uh, okay, what else about bars? Sit on bars. Sit on bars. You can think of any other questions that you want, just submit them during the Q&A, and we'll get to them. Now, racks. Racks are of less importance than bars. Um, any rack will work, all right? Some racks work better than others. I am partial to my design that is being manufactured by Texas Strength Systems under our trademark starting strength rack. Uh, I like it because it is made out of four by one and a half C channel. Um, it is extremely sturdy. The holes on the rack are on two inch centers. So the, the thing's very, very adjustable. And it is, uh, it's a, uh, it's a quality piece of equipment. It is also bare steel. All right. All of our stuff is bare steel. It is supposed to oxidize you don't like that and you buy that rack then when you get it go to the store and buy a couple of cans of clear acrylic and coat them if you want to or spray them black whatever you want to do but anything you put on bare steel guess what's going to happen to it as you use it it comes off sorry it's going to come off if we produce that rack painted like we did for years back when Johnny Brown was building these things. You just scratch the paint off when you use the thing. And, uh, you know, it looks beat up by the end of, by the end of a 10-year lifespan. The things is all scratched up and it's probably going to need to be repainted if that's the way you want it to look. I'd rather it was just bare steel because bare steel just oxidizes. And after it's 10 years old, it looks just fabulous. 
it doesn't look like it's suffered from a lack of maintenance. Uh, this is why I like bare steel. I'm not, I don't, I don't need everything purple, right? Not everything has to be a color, right? I don't understand why you pick purple. Because <laughs> well, it's silly. <laughs> it's the silliest color I can think of right off the top of my head. Okay. It's a silly color, right? Engorged mucous membrane color. I'm not, not, you know, not a fan. Just plain bare steel looks good to me. Yeah. Now racks are available from, you know, Texas strength systems under our brand name, but you can get, you know, this cheap stuff that rogue sells and it works just fine. They make theirs out of tubing instead of C channel. There's stuff's lighter than, than ours. Ours is a lot more money too. It's, it's $1,100 for that rack plus shipping. It's, it's an investment, but this will be in your family for a thousand years. If you like the idea of heirlooms, this is what you need, right? Cheap tubing. I just don't like it. I, I like sp particularly the, the, the ability that a channel rack gives us to put the pins from front to back through the uprights at an angle. You'll find lots and lots of good things to do with that ability that the rack provides. And, uh, I like the fact that our rack comes with a floor in it and you build a platform flush with that floor that butts up against the rack and you've got just a fabulous little training system there. Uh, racks are important. You need a rack. If you don't have a rack, how are you going to do your squats? How are you going to squat without a rack? You're going to clean it, press it up over your head, set it on your back, do your squats, press it up over your head, and set it back on the floor? Seriously? That's what you're going to do? In other words, you're not going to squat heavy weights ever? Well, you're not training if that's the case. All right? How are you going to press? You're going to clean everything you press? That also limits the amount of weight you can press, especially if you don't have any bumper plates, which are kind of important for for cleans are not absolutely necessary, but they're, you know, bumper plates are very important if you're going to set the bar down from your shoulders onto the floor because it doesn't tear everything up if you do it like that. So for presses and squats, you just damn near have to have a rack. And if you've been hesitating to buy a rack, uh, you're just hesitating to actually train, you know. I, I'm sorry that there's an expense involved in this. All right, but this, if, the, if you're serious about doing anything, you're going to be prepared to spend money doing it. I mean, look at golf, right? Golfers get a new set of clubs every six months, right? Yeah. Just so they can hit the ball a little further without having to do their squats and deadlifts and presses and bench presses. Buying a new set of clubs is easier than squatting, pressing, benching, and deadlifting, isn't it? Those guys spend more on uh, clothes and shoes yeah. and fees than oh, the sure. entire home gym costs. Sure. Sure they do. Cyclists are the same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the weightlifting, strength training is cheaper 
than all those other sports, even considering the fact that you've got to put some equipment in your garage. Um, Jiu-jitsu guys you, buy a gi every three months. They're 150 bucks. You know, you guys want to you, you want to get stronger. It costs money. Sorry, not a lot of money. And it's one time you buy. You, you, buy, you, you, you buy this starting strength rack. I'm not joking. That thing will be here in usable condition when the sun becomes a red giant out to the diameter of Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> that rack will be in existence somewhere. Maybe not your garage, but somebody's garage is going to have that rack from now on until the end of time. Okay? If you like the idea of permanence, buy the starting strength rack. All right, what else about racks? Is that, a, is that enough about racks? By racks, I, one of the other things I like about starting strength racks is, is – uh, we use an inch and a quarter piece of cold rolled for the pins. There are four pins supplied with each rack. You cannot bend an inch and a quarter piece of cold rolled pin 18. You can't bend it by dropping shit on it. You can't bend it in normal use. I don't think you can bend it if you try to bend it. Every one of those things that we've had on all those racks are still absolutely perfectly straight even though the goddamn chase dropped 635 <laughs> inside that rack one day. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was practically standing up when he did it. Yeah, he dropped that thing from all the way up. And I mean, the thing fell at least three and a half feet down onto those pins. Now, not only did it not bend the pins, but it didn't bend the caps starting strength 20 kilo bar that was loaded to 635 when it fell three and a half feet through the air. Okay. So we're talking about quality equipment here. All right. If chase can fuck up an anvil. Okay. And if he can't fuck that stuff up, then you can't either. Okay. So keep that in mind. That's what Chase does, though. He just goes around and fucks shit up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, benches. Let's talk about benches. Now, the 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 bench that we have designed and built by uh, Texas Strength Systems is a 10-inch wide, 4-foot-long flat bench. It's got a piece of butcher block oak on top of it. And it is beautiful. It is a piece of furniture. It's gorgeous. It has an uncoated steel base underneath it, and it is a, it's a fabulous, fabulous piece of equipment. A flat bench should be 10 inches wide. All right? We hear all the time, well, why isn't it 12 inches wide? Well, because it's not supposed to be 12 inches wide. The wider the bench is under your shoulders as you bench, the more likely the width of the surface of the bench is to impinge your shoulders as you come down into a full range of motion bench press. 10 inches works better than 12 inches. And I just in response to a board post a couple of days ago, I just corrected the article, how to build a home gym for some fucked up reason. I had stated that that bench width is 12 inches. It's not 12 inches. It was 10 inches. In fact, the flat bench, in the picture that accompanied that article was a 10-inch 
flat bench, 10 inch wide flat bench. The flat bench ought to be 10 inches. 12 is too wide for a bench. All right. Now, a lot of upright support benches, you know, the ones that are made to bench press off of, are made with 12 inch boards on top of them. Again, 10 inches works better. All right. Now, the, the flat bench, if you're going you're gonna to bench press in a power rack, like you probably should do, if you're training at home by yourself, the flat bench is the piece of equipment. Now, if you are operating a commercial gym, and I've got several of them in my gym, we use upright support benches so that the, if somebody wants to bench press, they don't tie up a power rack station for that, for that exercise. And an upright support bench may be a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing if you're operating a commercial gym. Because uh, they free up the power racks. But if you're building a, a, a home gym, you don't need an upright support bench because all you can do on that is bench press. On the flat bench, you can do all kinds of things, but it's primarily designed for you to put the bench inside the rack so that you can take the barbell out of the rack do a set of benches with it, put the barbell back in the rack, all the while being protected from death by the pins that are set at some level below the top of your chest and above your throat. All right? You, if you train long enough, you are going to have a wreck with a bench press. It's just going to happen. All right? Your wrists will twitch one day when you're not paying any attention. And even if you have the thumb around in a, in a non-suicide grip, the bar can fall out of, your, out of your hands. I had that happen to me one time at 275 on an incline. Hit myself in the chest with a dropped 275. Broke my sternum. Shit. Fractured. It didn't displace fracture, but I cracked my sternum. And... Uh, it's going to happen. It'll just happen. So the best thing to do is to set protection from the bench press inside of a power rack. We used to talk about bench pressing with, without collars on and uh, so that if you got stuck, you could slide the, you know, you'd tip the bar to one side, unload, catastrophically unload the bar, and then catastrophically unload the other side of the bar, and that way you didn't get killed. I, you know, I'm not interested in advocating that you ever be in that position because that's just stupidity, All right? If you're going to bench by yourself, you have got to have protection and you need to bench inside the power rack and the flat bench in the power rack is the exercise station that you're going to use for that. Now, uh, if you're operating a gym, you've already got your own opinions about what upright support benches you like to have in the floor of your gym, and you're going to have some of those. But uh, for the home lifter, for if you're building, or if you're, you know, I, in starting strength gyms, we don't have any upright support benches. We just bench inside the racks. Because why we why would we take up floor space with equipment that is not useful for multiple purposes? So that's how we have handled the problem in starting strength gyms. Uh, 
word about the surface of the bench. The, the starting strength bench is a solid piece of oak. Or I didn't have any upholstery on it. Now, if you want to upholster it when you get it, go ahead. I think it's kind of stupid because it's such a beautiful piece of furniture. Uh, when you get that thing, sand it, put Scott's liquid gold on it. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Now, when you, if, if you're going to scrunch up into a, uh, a big arch, if the weight is sufficiently light, you may find that your upper back has a tendency to scoot toward your head on that wooden bench. I have solved that problem with a spray bottle of water. I just wet the surface of the bench, and it sticks me down pretty thoroughly when I'm arching up. Had no trouble with it at all. But when you get into the set, you're going to like the feel of the wood better than the padding. I promise you, you'll like it better. Uh, now, if you are going to have a padded upholstered bench, what I found as a commercial gym owner for the past 40, whatever the fuck it is years that I've been doing this is that the upholstery should not be vinyl. That is the stupidest idea that anybody ever had. Vinyl upholstery in a busy gym will have to be replaced every year. All right? It cracks. It dries out, and it cracks. It fatigues just like metal does, and it will crack. So for many, many years, all of my upholstered equipment in Wichita Falls Athletic Club was upholstered in auto seat fabric. That shit is, it wears like iron. I, you can't wear it out. I've had benches in there that were, that were upholstered in the same auto fabric for 20 years. And so if you want upholstery on your bench, use auto seat fabric. It's widely available. Every upholstery shop in the United States has it. You get a piece, you fold it around, you staple it into the wood of the bench with a some kind of little padding on top of it between the you wrap the bench and the padding and then you staple the auto upholstery fabric around that and you've got a upholstered bench. Make sure that the upholstery is sucked down very, very tight so that it doesn't wrinkle up when you move around on it. Okay. What else about the benches? Is that about all? Um you do not want a bench that bolts together unless the bolts are strong enough to hold the thing together. Right? Oh, you you're you talking about you don't want shitty Walmart <clears throat> benches that right. that rattle. You know, it's got to it's got to hold you plus a few hundred pounds. All benches are going to have the board bolted to the frame, but what Nick's talking about is the frame should not bolt together. That is the hallmark of cheap junk. Do not use cheap junk in your gym. You're supposed to be more proud of yourself than that. All right. Uh, any quality bench, the subframe of the bench is welded together. And do not accept a bolted together bench in your home gym or anywhere else for that matter. That Those things are made to sell at Walmart. Leave them at Walmart. Let Walmart employees train on that shit, not you. Okay. 
Now, plates. Plates are a very important part of your gym because plates are what allows you to apply force against the force of gravity. That's what training's all about. Force production against the force of gravity. Force production against the force of gravity is quantified by the weight on the bar. That's how we train. We go up. We continually increase the amount of force we're required to produce against the barbell. And the way we do that is with our plates. Now, plates, good plates, are of two types. There are cast iron plates. This is the most important type of plate. Cast iron plates come in a variety of weights uh, in the United States. And, uh, you know, with all due respect, fuck the rest of the world. I'm not not interested in kilo iron plates. I'm just not interested in them. Uh, you know, you, you buy 20 kilo plates if you want to. But I, I recommend that you just go ahead and use good old US of A 45-pound plates. These, these plates are made of cast iron. They are 45 centimeters in diameter, centimeters. We'll use it in this case. Is that all right with you? It's fine with me. 17 and a half inches in radius is what that is, I believe. And it's, uh, that plate radius may seem arbitrary. There are plates that are, that are in a smaller radius or sometimes in a larger radius. That radius was standardized in the Olympics for Olympic weightlifting decades and decades ago. And uh, from what I understand, they agreed on that diameter because if you drop the barbell under a clean and press or some other type of situation, then that radius between the bar and the floor was enough to permit you to survive the accident. And that's the reason for that diameter. And you can make an argument that a bigger diameter is better, smaller diameter is better. Uh, there's no reason to make an argument. The equipment's standard. This is just what we use. Okay? Just get used to the idea that this is the diameter of the plate you're going to be working with. If you don't like that diameter and you want to pull from a higher position, that's what your rack pins are for. Right? If you want to pull from a lower position, they make these little block things. They call them deficit deadlifts. You want to pull a deficit deadlift with what would normally be a smaller diameter plate? Do that. Or you'd load a bunch of quarters, a bunch of 25-pound plates on the bar and pull with a smaller diameter if you want to. But the plate sizes are pretty much standard based on the 45-centimeter, 17.5-inch radius from the middle of the bar. And we're going to be dealing with pounds. So the plates come in, in standardized weights. All right. 45 is the big one. Now, they make 100-pound plates uh, for meats. They make 25-kilo plates for meats, which are 55 pounds. But the standard cast iron set that you're going to have access to for your for your training purposes, are usually 45 pounds. And they have a handling lip on them, and they're of that standard diameter. And then all of the smaller weights are going to be of smaller diameter because that's how you reduce the mass while still retaining a thickness to not break when you, when you drop a brittle cast iron plate on the floor. So uh, 
a 25 pound plate is the next useful dimension and it's going to be smaller in diameter should still be about the same thickness as the 45, but in a smaller diameter, then you'll have tens, fives and two and a halfs in the standard cast iron set. Okay. 35 pound plates are useless. Do not buy 35 pound plates. They take up space in your rack. And if you want to load 35 on one end of the bar, that's what a 25 and a 10 are for. You don't need 35 pound plates. They're in the fucking way. Don't buy 35s. You don't need them. I, I don't even know why they make the damn things. It never, I've never figured out why they made them in the first place. You got a 25, you got a 10. Let's put that on the bar. Why do you have to have a 35 pound plate? Something else to sell. Just one more thing to sell. Yeah, I don't know what the reason. I've got an old York 35 pound plate over there. I just keep because it's kind of cool looking. We don't use it. Only got one of them. You know. So uh, if if you're looking at buying a set of plates, 35s are absolutely unnecessary. Don't buy them. They just take up space in your rack. Your plate racks ought to be organized in a way to hold these plates. We'll talk more about that in a second. Now, the plates are made of cast iron. All right. Now, there's two generally available types of cast iron. One is called gray iron. The one is called ductile iron. Ductile iron is a little bit more expensive. And it offers a little bit more protection from, uh, shatter that can occur with a barbell plate. If you drop a barbell plate from high enough up in the air onto a piece of concrete and it lands exactly the wrong way, you'll fracture the plate. And, uh, that's just, you know, it's not designed for that, but you're not going to fracture a plate setting it down on the platform. So the extra expense that would be incurred by making the, plates out of ductile iron is not generally regarded as worth the trouble. So everybody makes these plates out of gray iron. It's a type of cast iron. If you're interested in that. Wikipedia is your friend. Now cast iron plates, when they are cast, will have a certain tolerance to them. If you've got a 45 pound plate, uh, it's going to come out of the casting weighing somewhere in the vicinity of 45 pounds. Now, modern casting techniques have largely solved this problem, but at different times, I have had 45 pound plates in my gym that weighed 42.75 pounds. And I've had 45 pound plates in my gym that weighed 58.75 pounds. You need to weigh them. Or you need to buy what are called calibrated plates where the weight has been adjusted from the casting, where the casting has been accurate with modern casting, modern foundry techniques, and where any deviation from overweight has been milled off so that the plates weigh within at least 1% of the face value of the plate. Okay, you can put up with a 45 pound plate that weighs 45 and a quarter pounds. You can put up with that. 
But it would be my recommendation that when you get your plates in, that you weigh them. If there's any significant deviation from 45.01, that you go ahead and write in on the face of the plate in white marker so you know exactly what you're loading on the bar. But if you're in your garage and you're lifting the same plates all the time, it really doesn't make that much difference. If you got the same set of six 45-pound plates and you're lifting the same things all the time, then you're lifting the same amount of weight on the bar, and there's not going to be any deviation that you haven't added to it with small plates. Uh, now, plates are of various qualities, aren't they? You've got painted plates. You've got bare cast iron plates, which I prefer. Uh, but more importantly, you've got plates that are uh, – cast to different tolerances with respect to the ID, the internal diameter, the hole in the middle of the plate. If the hole in the middle of the plate is too big for the bar, then the plate wobbles around on the bar. All right. A sloppy plate will have a 2.05 inch hole in the middle of it. A tight plate, like a Yusaka plate, We'll have a 1.97 inch hole in the middle of it. And it is so tight that it, it's hard to load and it doesn't fit on every bar. Uh, Grant Brogy has made his strength go plates with a 1.99 ID. And those fit nice and tight without any wobble on pretty much every bar you can buy is the barbell sleeve is, is almost universally 1.95 inches in diameter. Uh, York plates are 2.01 inches in diameter, and they fit nice and tight. But a two and a half, or I'm sorry, a 2.05 inch ID is a sloppy plate. Okay, and if you'll think about it, uh, the the plate hanging from the bar has the top half or so of the inside diameter of the plate interacting with the top half or so of the outside diameter of the sleeve. Did I say that correctly? I believe I did. When, if the plate is hanging on the bar, the bottom half of the diameter of the hole in the plate is not even in contact with the bar sleeve because it's hanging from the bar. Okay. And, uh, that's, that's true in all of the lifts. If you're going to do the Olympic lifts, you would like for the plate to fit tighter on the bar. So there's not a much slop as you throw the bar around in the air and the plates rattle around on it. Uh, for this reason, the other type of plate, which is called a bumper plate, which is designed specifically to do the snatch and the clean and jerk with, come with a fairly tight ID that fits nice and snug on the bar. Because if you've got a sloppy plate on the bar and you throw it up to catch the clean, the slop in the plate will I promise you will make the plate walk out along the edge, along the sleeve, unless you have collars on the bar. But you just don't want them flopping around like that. That's not what 
a person doing snatch and clean and jerk wants to feel and have to deal with at the top of the pull. So, uh, Bumper plates are made out of rubber. They have a metal hub on the inside that consists of the, 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 the sleeve part of the plate that fits against the sleeve part of the barbell. And then there'll be rubber around it. And that, that hub will be anchored in the rubber with various methods. There are two types of bumper plates. There are composition bumper plates, which are made out of ground-up tires. They're black and they're fatter. And then there are neoprene plates or some other type of rubber. Neoprene may not be the right stuff. That's probably not the right word for that. What it, it, they, those are poured, and they're various colors. If it's a colored set and the plates are a little narrower in diameter, then you're dealing with a much more expensive set, urethane. That's what they are. They're urethane. And uh, those plates are available in the, in the Olympic set colors. So the 25s are red. The 20 kilos are blue, the 15s are yellow, the 10s are green, and then the, the smaller plates are cast iron usually. And uh, bumper plates are a lot of money. Hell, cast iron plates now are a lot of money. You know, I bought used cast iron plates for 25 cents a pound for decades. Now they're $2 a pound if you can find the damn thing. And, uh, you know, to me, that's just a hell of a bunch of money. You know, a $90, 45-pound plate, it's crazy. It's crazy as hell, but that's what they're going for. You know, supply, demand, price, that sort of shit, right? Uh, Those are the two general types of plates, all right? If you're looking to buy plates, get them with a tight ID, don't buy anything that's that's 2.05 slop because everything you're going to have to do with that bar is going to have to be collared. If the, if the bar is uh, the right size and the ID of the plate is the right size, you might not have to use collars when you train, just depending on what your preference is and what you're doing. But if the, if the plates you bought are sloppy and cheap and junk, a, they're not going to be accurate in terms of their weight anyway, and B, you're not going to like the way they interact with your barbell. So keep all that in mind. All right, we miss anything with plates. Anybody got anything they want to add? Okay, now, peripheral stuff, plate racks. Plate racks hold the plates. We don't call them weight trees. We call them plate racks because that's where the plates are racked when you are not using them on the barbell. Doesn't Potter call them trees? Trees. He does. A a tree is another thing. (laughs) Okay. That already has a definition. You know, they grow, they're skinny at the bottom and fat at the top. That's a tree. Generally made of wood. Generally, yeah, made of wood. Despite what Carter says, he's I, lived in in New York, he's, <laughs> New York City for most of his damn life. Yeah, he's just, you know, his perceptions are all twisted yeah. and fucked up. So it's a plate rack. Now, the only type of plate rack I can think of that I would actually own is an A-frame plate rack. And you'll see those for sale at 
Texas Strength Systems and our starting strength line of equipment, the plate rack you see there. It's an A-frame plate rack. It's about two, two and a half feet high. It's got four pins on the angled sides of the thing and a base. And across the bottom of the base of the A, there's another pin for your small plates for two and a halfs and your change. Okay, so the way you load this rack is the 45s go on the two pins at the bottom. The plate rack is designed to keep the bottom edge of the 45s off the floor so there's a little bit of clearance. All right, and then the 25s go on one pin on the top and the 10s and the 5s go on the other pin on the top. Two and a halfs go in the middle at the bottom along with the fractional plates. Now, the pins of this plate rack should be one inch, not two inches. Now, I know that the hole in the middle of the plate is two inches, right? And I have actually seen A-frame a plate racks made with two-inch pieces of pipe to hold the plates. I have never understood how that is supposed to work. Why would you want to build a plate rack that requires you to use both hands to get a plate out of the rack? That's stupid. A one-inch pin allows for one hand to take any one of those plates out of the rack and put it on the bar. One hand's all you have to have. But if you make the pins on the plate rack the same diameter as the hole, well, then the plate's got to come off parallel, the ID of the plate parallel to the outside OD of the plate pin. It's just it's just badly thought about. Yeah. You know, you no one no one built one of those that actually trained with weights is what it boils down to. The one and, I had also had screws. Yeah, it was probably screwed oh, together well, and stuff. Yeah. Take that out and just put it in the alley. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> put it in the alley. Just let it sit there. Uh, so uh, that plate rack is is. Uh, the best thing you can use to keep your plates organized and up off the floor. You can use the floor for a plate rack if you want to, but I recommend against that. It's a trip hazard, and it, plates are hard to pick up off the floor. And you don't want them on the platform. You'll trip over them. Somebody's going to have a wreck if you have plates on the platform. Don't do that. Get plate racks. You probably want two. If you've got a home gym, you can probably get away with one, depending on how much, how many plates you're going to use, you know, how many 45s you've got. But I would have one on either side of the rack. That's easy to handle. If you're in a commercial gym, commercial gym ought to have plate racks all over the building. And uh, so you don't have to carry stuff all over the place. Uh, plates ought to be scattered around on all of the plate racks and Roughly the same quantities. 45s go on the bottom. The small stuff goes on the top. Uh, plate racks, just like everything else, don't need to be painted. Plate racks, especially, are going to get the paint beat off of them very, very quickly. There's not any point painting a plate rack. Don't do that. Rather than paint things, keep water out of the air. All right? That's how you maintain your equipment that's uncoated. All right? Uh, anything else about plate racks? 
don't want to say anything about plate racks. Bree, you got any opinions <laughs> on plate racks one way or another? What do you no, think of the two-inch hole plate rack that What do you think of the two-inch hole plate rack? You know you got one over there, right? I got one left. You got one Just to remind everybody why all the rest of them have been changed. (laughs) 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 All you have to do is put that thing on there once. and Oh, that's why the rest of them are the other way. Okay, so plate racks are dealt with. Now, uh, collars is next on the list. Collars are interesting things. Now, you need collars. In fact, you're going to be watching this podcast two days after an article about collars was published on our website at startingstrength.com. Collars are necessary pieces of equipment. Competition collars weigh two and a half kilos. And in fact, the loading chart for, for plates in a meat uh, take into account a two and a half kilo five and a half pound collar. These things are all basically the same thing. Some of them use set screws. Some of them uh, are just clamps with uh, various pieces of material clamping the OD of the sleeve of the barbell to the ID of the collar. These things are designed to prevent the loss of the plates from the side of the bar during the event of an accident on the platform and they're heavy and they're sturdy and they're expensive. Now for your home gym, you don't have to have those. You don't need to use those a long time ago. They used to manufacture these, these Chrome plated springs that went on the, that went on the uh, sleeve. Those things are pieces of shit. Okay. Pieces of shit, throw them away and upgrade to modern collars. Now there's two collars, two types of collars I'm thinking about. And, and both of them are little cheap things that don't weigh very much that go around the bar and kind of clamp around the bar with one clamp on either side. Some of them are made out of alloy. Some of them are made out of plastic. They work pretty well. The only time they would not work well is if you have a catastrophic accident and one side of the bar drops far below the other side of the bar. Uh, in a situation like that, a plastic version of those collars are not going to hold very well. The metal ones hold much, much better than the plastic ones. But in a situation like that, uh, something bad has happened already besides the plates coming off of the bar. You've gotten hurt. Something has gone on to make the bar uh, topple to one side or another, uh, under most circumstances, either the plastic clamps or the metal clamps work perfectly for, uh, most purposes that we're going to run into in general strength training. Now, uh, as I mentioned in the, in the, in the article, the only purpose of a collar is to keep the weights from sliding off of the bar. If you are able to walk the bar out of the rack without being a spaz and walking the plates off, sliding them off. Or if you're able to take the bar out of the press rack without wobbling around and throwing the plates off to the side, bench press certainly can be done without collars. Then you don't need collars. If the plates are sliding, you don't need collars, but I recommend that your work sets at least are collared just in case. 
okay, if you've got sloppy plates on the bar, you're going to have to collar the pull so that the plates stand up 90 degrees to the bar. You don't want them sliding to the side, slopping, leaning over to the side because a bar loaded with plates that are sloppy, the plates are going to walk off of the middle of the bar. By the end of the set, the bar will be half unloaded. So you're going to have to have collars for that. So you need some collars. I would recommend uh, that most people buy the metal versions of those clamps and that eventually when you get to the point where you're lifting very heavy weights, you might want to invest in a couple of competition collars just so you can make sure that the plates don't destroy the gym if something bad happens. But those are optional. I think the metal collars are pretty much all anybody really needs. All right. Belts are an important piece of equipment in your gym. The belt fits you. Now in Wichita Falls Athletic Club, I've got a collection of belts that we have accumulated over time. For that matter, I've got a collection of shoes over there. Shoes and belts are important to you. As you get stronger, you're going to want a belt. You need to start with a pair of shoes. We'll talk about those in just a minute. But a belt is a very, very good thing to have. Now, I have written an article called The Belt and the Deadlift that I recommend that you read because it describes exactly the way a belt actually works when you're training with weights. Uh, most belts, for some reason, I do not understand this. I have... The more I think about it, the less I understand it. Most belts are manufactured in four-inch width. Now, most people, in contrast, will do better with a three-inch belt. A four-inch belt takes up a lot of the room between the top of your pelvis and the bottom of your ribcage. A four-inch belt does all kinds of bad things if it if you're not six and a half feet tall. All right? The four-inch belt, as you squat down into the bottom of the squat, or as you reach down to pick a deadlift up off of the ground, the bottom of that belt will come into contact with the top of your thigh, the hip flexors, and will give you bad proprioceptive information about the amount of, of hip flexion you have occupied in that position. A lot of people trying to deadlift in a four inch belt think that their low back is set because of the pressure that the belt applies to their hip flexors in the bottom of that position. You can arch a little bit more, but you have to arch against the belt. And that's very difficult for some people to learn. A three inch belt is plenty of support and it does not interfere with your start position in the deadlift, and it doesn't interfere with the bottom position in the squat. I think that the vast majority, 95% of the people on the earth, need a three-inch belt instead of a four-inch belt. And for that reason, our Dominion strength people that make the starting strength belt manufacture a three-inch belt. Now, that belt is a nice piece of equipment. It's a lot of money. It's $175. It's not suede. It's a plain leather belt, but it is beautiful. 
and uh, I don't know anybody that's bought one of those that wasn't absolutely happy with it. It's a it's a fabulous piece of training equipment. He sells a a two ply and a one ply, a single ply belt for a lot less money, and depending on your budget, you know, you might want to start with the single ply. Uh, but I think eventually you'll like to own a double ply belt. They're both useful. I'd prefer for myself. I prefer to use a single ply when I'm benching because it's easier to get the thing tighter and you're going to use a belt one hold at least tighter on the bench than you will when you're deadlifting or squatting. So that single ply belt cinches up real nicely, but, uh, I think you're probably going to want to double ply it. Now, best belts, if you can get one from him, they'll make fabulous suede belts. They're very, very good pieces of equipment. And a lot of, and he'll make three inch belts. And he's got those in stock. Usually, well, doesn't have them in stock. He makes them to order, but he's used to making three inches. Dean Best, a good guy. Uh, there are uh, lots and lots of other places to, to buy belts. You can buy cheap junk from Pakistan on the, on, on the internet, you can buy Chinese cheap junk on the internet. You can buy cheap junk made in Mexico, various other foreign countries. Uh, is that racism? Yes. It is racism. Everything is. Well, if that's racism, then what do I, how do I un-racism that? Can't undo it. Once you're a racist, you're a racist. Forever. You know, I just like higher standards, and the Pakistanis don't seem to have very high standards. <laughs> it's not their race, it's their standards. <laughs> so, uh, buy, buy a good belt. I mean, this is, your, this, this is the only personal piece of equipment and your shoes that you actually need to have. And you need to, you need to enjoy buying it. You need to be proud of the thing, pride of ownership, all that stuff. Buy a good belt. It's an investment. You won't have to replace it for 20 years. If it's a good belt, a shitty belt, you're going to have to replace in a couple of years. Why not buy the thing once in 20 years instead of 10 times in 20 years? That makes sense. So get a good belt. Start to drink belts are at Dominion, right? Shoes. Now, shoes, as far as I'm concerned, if you are starting to train with weights, the first piece of personal equipment you need is a pair of shoes. Because sloppy, cushiony running shoes are an unstable surface through which you are going to be trying to produce force in a reproducible fashion every single time. All five squats need to be the same. If varying amounts of force are getting to the bar due to variability in your interaction with the floor, your form is going to be wrong. All right. A weightlifting shoe, first and foremost, is solid. It does not compress. There's no compressibility in the sole of a weightlifting shoe. Now, you can make the case for various heel heights from five eighths to one inch. Some Olympic weightlifters prefer more of a heel than that because it helps them get into the front squat position during a, a clean and jerk. I think. That proper height for a heel is between five eighths and three quarter of an inch. And my reason for a heel has been talked about several other places beaten to death. And I don't want to talk about it today, but good weightlifting shoes are terribly, terribly important. Uh, 
they're hard to find though. Um, several companies make weightlifting shoes. And, uh, now when we first started this process about 15 years ago, there were, I, I, there probably weren't a thousand pair of weightlifting shoes sold on earth on any given year. Now that we've been hammering on this for 15 years, I think, uh, the weightlifting shoe business is a, is a big deal. And yeah, I'm going to take, you know, most of the credit for that because, uh, we have pointed out from the beginning that if you are standing on a bed, then you cannot squat as much weight as you can if you are standing on the floor. And that's essentially what you're dealing with. If you're trying to squat in running shoes that squish, every rep's going to be a little bit different. The minute anybody puts on a pair of weightlifting shoes, changed out of their running shoes they've been squatting in, and puts on a pair of weightlifting shoes and squats, they understand. Immediately, they understand what we're saying. So why don't you just shut up and get a pair of weightlifting shoes, okay? We've been working on uh, weightlifting shoes for a long time, trying to get a design out on the market. Had a lot of trouble with it, but I'm hopeful that before this whole process is over, we will have a weightlifting shoe that we can tell you to buy. We don't have that right now, so you're on your own. But just get a non-compressible shoe with a metatarsal strap. Function of the strap is to hold your heel back in the back of the shoe so that you're, you're even more stable, locked into the shoe, than you would be if only the laces were holding your foot in the shoe. All right, and the metatarsal strap also reinforces your arch support if it's placed correctly in the in the manufacturer of the shoe uh yeah there's there's a bunch of shitty shoes available but you know uh we talk about this on the board all the time if you'd like to ask questions about what type of shoe to wear just go to the board and post a question and somebody will get right back to you now straps and when i say straps i mean the things that tie your hand to the bar for a pull Okay, straps are useful in lots and lots of situations. If you are doing rack pulls, which are by definition partials, and which therefore allow and really require the use of weights heavier than you can pull off of the floor, straps are a part of the exercise. If you're doing a rack pull that's 100 pounds more weight than you can deadlift, you're going to have to strap to that. Because in that situation, we are not interested in allowing grip strength to limit the amount of training stress we get from the pull. Okay. Uh, it's been my experience that as a general rule, you can pull a whole lot more weight just from just below the knees than you can off the floor. If you were doing an exercise like that, grip strength has already been developed. And grip strength is not your issue, all right? The straps enable you to handle heavy weights. And in certain circumstances, regular people that are not competitive lifters are going to need straps too. If you've got little bitty short Vienna sausage-looking fingers and your fingers don't come around and complete a circumference around a regular 28.5-millimeter bar, you're probably going to need to use straps in order to pull 
weights that other people could deadlift without straps. That's not your fault. Just go ahead and strap. If you're doing heavy shrugs in the rack, there's another example of a heavy partial that is dependent on your being able to pull more weight than you can hold on to. Straps are useful for that. So there are certain circumstances where straps are, are real useful. Scott Davis and my buddy that trains with me at night in there has got arthritis in one hand. He has to strap on that side or he can't pull. So what does he do? He straps. Now, there are several types of straps available. The shittiest type of strap that you can use are the ones that have the loop on one end and then you feed back through the loop and you got one piece of material that hangs down that allows you to strap. Those are shitty. Those are shitty. That's right, Bree. They're shitty. And the reason they're shitty is because, A, you've got less material in contact with the bar, and B, the, that material continues to feed through that loop. And as the set progresses, you're going to have to adjust your straps because the strap is going to continue to tighten. The best straps you can use are the ones that are made out of a single long piece of webbing. And I've illustrated the application of those types of straps in the book. We got an article about video about that. Yeah, I think we do. I think we got a video of me of, of the use of those straps. Yeah. We've got a couple of them. Those, yeah, you know, we've talked about that quite a bit. Those are the best straps you can get because once you've got them set up on the bar, you are glued to the bar. And get the things made out of nylon, not cotton. Cotton breaks. Cotton wears out. Get some nylon. Uh, don't make them too wide. But little skinny one inch is not wide enough. I think those straps that are hanging on the bar rack over there are inch and three quarter. That's probably about. Seat belts make good wraps, good straps rather. Seat belts make good straps. Pieces of seat belt. Go to the junkyard, get a seat belt or two, and make your straps out of that. Uh, but you're eventually going to need some straps. Certainly not at first. But you will eventually need some straps. Virtually no gym on earth provides straps except us. So you're going to have to have your own, your own straps. And I think those are at least 24 inches long. They may be 30 inches long. I don't No, 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 they're not that long. Probably 24. Probably 24. And if you, if you make them too long, you can always let the, excess material hang down it doesn't make any difference so look up on the internet how to use these things on our website get some and put them in your gym bag all right wraps and sleeves for your knees knee sleeves are the rubber things they're not designed to be terribly supportive they're just designed to keep your knees warm they provide a little bit of compression and if your knees are old or creaky you may decide to to wear Knee, knee sleeves every time you squat. It's fine. Go ahead and do it. If it helps you train with that pain, put on your knee sleeves. Now, I'll have to say that some people have a neoprene allergy. I certainly do. I can put on knee sleeves and take them off 15 minutes later, and I'll have a rash around my knee that will be there for two weeks. I can't use them. So I use uh, wraps. 
fabric wraps. Slight, they're slightly elastic, and you they serve the same purpose if you put them on without a lot of without a lot of tension. You put them on loose, and they serve to keep your knees warm and provide a little bit of compression so that your knee uh, can tolerate, you know, a beat-up knees can tolerate squats. So knee wraps are in kind of a standard length just by the, the light knee wraps. You don't want powerlifting wraps because they can't be applied without too much compression for what you're trying to do. Chalk. We still run into people that, that complain on the board about their deadlift being weak. Can't hang on to my deadlift. What do I do? What do I need? What do I need to do? Do I need to hook grip? What do I need to do? Alternate? What do I need? And we say, are you using chalk? And they say, why no? Do you think I should use chalk? Man, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, if you're training with weights, your hands are going to get sweaty. What do you think a sweaty hand does on the bar? Well, the first thing it does is slip. Okay. You can't hang on to a bar. Then you can't pull it. Your back will not pull off the floor a weight that you cannot hold on to. There's just a fail safe mechanism built into your back to where it's not going to jerk something off the floor off the floor that are going to, going to come flying out of the hands and cause you to go flying backward off the back of the platform. Just not going to happen. You have to be able to hold on to the bar. Chalk is part of training with barbells. Get some chalk and use it. All right. I don't care if it makes a mess. Making a mess is part of training with barbells. Also get some chalk and use it. If you're training in a gym that doesn't provide chalk, take your own. Put it in a little coffee can or something. If you're training in a gym that doesn't allow the use of chalk, get a better gym. Okay? Nope. No options. Get a better gym. All right? Well, I've got bar jacks on here. You know, when we load bars that are on the floor for the deadlift or the clean, then... You have to bend over and you have to get the end of the bar up off of the platform high enough so that the bottom of the plate will not drag on the platform as you're loading the bar. Now, there's a couple of different ways to do this. One way to do it is just, you know, muscle it, you know, but by the time you get 405 on there, and this gets to be kind of a pain in the ass. So one way to deal with that is with a bar jack and it's a little device that fits under one side of the bar and it goes under the bar on the inside of the collars and you kind of crank it back and it, it remains stably on the floor and jacks the bar up enough so that the plates clear the floor and you can load it, put the collar on, set it back down. Okay. Now, there are other ways to deal with that. You can put something under the plate that's on the most inside of the bar. The first plate can be jacked up, and you can do that with a wedge. They make plastic wedges. Our friends at Dominion make a wedge out of leather, bar belt scraps, which looks real cool. Contact them about this, or, you know, what you can do is put a two-and-a-half-pound plate down and roll the inside plate up on top of the two and a half pound plate. Do that. Several ways to deal with the problem. 
and last, clothes. All right. Now, we've talked about this for years. All right. It's 2020. All right. It's the space age. I mean, Elon Musk may be on Pluto by now. I don't know, but technology is advanced. And everybody thinks you have to have an Under Armour $3,000 composite Kevlar material shirt. When the best shirt to train with under the bar is a 100% old-fashioned cotton T-shirt. It gets a little bit wet. It grabs the bar. The bar doesn't slide off of good old-fashioned cotton T-shirt material. Cotton T-shirt material grabs the bar. It grabs the piss out of the bar, and it works just fine. And if you wear it out, you get another one, right? You buy a package of five of those things for 10 bucks or something like that, right? You know, or you can buy nice decorative logo-type shirts from us here at startingstrength.com, from your favorite volunteer fire department, whatever charity you subscribe to, T-shirts, you know, are ubiquitous. But 100% cotton is what you want. You don't want space-age material. We're not the Jetsons. We're just training with weights. So get a cotton T-shirt. And if you have got anything but shorts on that stop well above your knees, then you're going to have to deal with the fact that long pants bind against the knee as you squat down. And just like the belt, tightening up in the wrong position, telling your thighs that you're more, that they are more flexed than they in fact are, pants that are too tight are going to keep you from placing your knees and your hips in the correct, in the correct relationship with each other. Uh, make sure that your sweats stretch very, very well. Don't try to squat in wind pants, for God's sakes, or blue jeans or anything like that. Make sure that your sweats, you're going to wear something that comes down over your knee, are stretchy enough so that you can't feel them when you approach the bottom of the squat. And, you know, it's 2020, and everybody wears shorts down below their knees, right? The end of your shorts grabbing your knees you might as well have on blue jeans don't roll them up or something but make sure that your pants don't interfere with the bottom position of the squat or the start position of the deadlift or pulls off the floor okay stretch is better all right non-stretch usually doesn't work because you've got non-stretchy shorts on then the effects on your hips at the bottom of those two positions is going to still be there and it's they're not useful from that perspective okay did i leave anything out you guys want to say anything no. don't say say how proud you are of me or anything like oh, that i'm very proud of you well, this is the longest episode you've ever recorded. I think you're you're on par with Rogan. Getting ready, Rogan. <laughs> if you shave that monkey, 
See the headphones? <laughs> you shave that monkey, you got Rogan, white don't you? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He hadn't called today, you noticed. Yeah. Maybe he's giving up. I think he has. Yeah. I told him to go get fucked too many times. And he <laughs> finally believed me. All right, Bree, you got anything? Nope. She normally won't shut up. Babbles incessantly. I need some input from her. All she's got is, I'm good. Nope. <laughs> so, thanks for joining us today. hope this has been useful information for you about equipment. And uh, you've got any questions that have been prompted by anything I've said today. Uh you might, next time we call for Q&A questions, that would be a good place for you to ask them. We'd probably get a whole equipment Q&A out of the confusion that has been produced by this particular podcast, right? <laughs> could happen. Well, let me just apologize for your confusion right now and to encourage you to come back next Friday and perhaps we will be less confusing then. See ya. Bye.